Consultants Saying Things video podcast. I'm Chris Lockhart. In today's episode, we talk about deep learning, machine learning, and AI, among other things. And for today, the panel is myself, uh, Bill Bensing, and Phil Yanoff. And we're joined by the SiliconANGLE Wikibon lead analyst for deep learning, machine learning, and application development, James Kobielis. And James is an expert in this area. He uh, routinely publishes articles uh, about these topics, and uh, we're lucky enough to have him join us to talk about a lot of these uh, different areas. As you'll see, we get into it very quickly. It goes deep, uh, very rapidly, um, lots of detail, lots of interesting stuff. Uh, so sit back, buckle up, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Okay, so again, thanks for joining. I mean, sure. you know, when, when I think of, when I think of you know, deep learning, big data, AI, <laughs> machine learning, like all of these terms, right? Um, it's, it, it strikes me as um, maybe there's a little bit of hype, maybe a lot a of- little, A little bit. Uh, a lot of misunderstanding. So James, I'm glad you're here today to sort of help us sort through. That's my life, that's my lot in life. That's my job to clear up the confusion. Um, so <laughs> what is deep learning? <laughs> deep learning is the next, a step beyond just basic machine learning. And when I say the words basic machine learning, I almost sort of want to throw up because machine learning is not basic, it's very complex. So let me just lay it out. You know, we've had machine learning for a long, long time and it predates artificial neural networks. You know, support vector machines and so forth and so on have been around for, for quite a while. Machine learning is simply algorithmic approaches for, for um, being able to automate the distillation of correlations and other patterns from data of various sorts. Like I said, machine learning has been around, as you know, for a long, long time in the in the form of you know, uh, you know, uh, decision forest and support vector machines and so forth. But in the last ten years or so, an, one of the machine learning approaches, artificial neural networks, which are fairly long in vintage as well, have come on strong and are now the dominant approach for machine learning. And of course, artificial neural networks are based on essentially an approach that. Uh, that mimics or emulates uh, aspects of uh, you know the the way in which organisms, uh, higher you know vertebrates like ourselves, uh, process information with uh, neurons and synapses and interconnections and so forth. So really, that's where deep that's what deep learning is in the broader sense of ML. And ML is really one uh, predominant approach now for doing all things AI because AI is the superset sort of envelope and AI as a paradigm has been around longer than I have and I'm old as the hills. You know, AI in many ways is not, uh, 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 the term is not one thing. It's so many different things that have been lumped together, but it's all essentially, it's all about being able to do cognitive type processes, affective, like, you know, emotional processing um, and other types of high level processing as well or better than a human or an organic you know, entity can do, uh, but to do it in computers and to do it increasingly 
in highly miniaturized form fact factors that can be embedded in all manner of objects in the world around us. That's that's what it's all about. Okay, you've hit every buzzword that everybody who's you know deeply interested in this. That is all the stuff that they love. Mm -hmm. But can I? I wanted to ask my question on the front end is, you know, I'm an old guy, right? So I've seen winter come multiple times in this AI thing, and I wonder, you know, how do you address the guys today? Why is today different? Why is this? Why is deep learning? <laughs> I, I I think that I see this, but I'd like to hear it from somebody who's down inside this all the time. So really, it's not so much a matter um, of you know, the space having gone through summers and winters and so forth. It's just a matter of this space has evolved in many ways. So the AI of now is nothing like the AI of 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's an entirely different space. Uh, and it's, it's becoming even more different as we go forward into the world where like, robotics become um, the foundation of almost everything, including all transportation and all space flight and all warfare. And robotics themselves are built on AI but it's not the AI that we see in most business applications now that have AI. It's, it's, it's something called reinforcement learning, which is a, a very different way of, of building and training models. What I'm getting at is that um, we have to keep reminding ourselves that what we've been calling AI continues to evolve to address new opportunities and the technology itself continues to, you know, the, the innovations keep coming along to enable these opportunities to be to be seized. Um, so uh, the thing is, there's always hype in every every sector of the economy, especially in high tech. You know, it depends on your point of view. Hype can be simply be called marketing. You know, that's what that's how markets are found, especially for highly complex things that the vast majority of people out there, you know, in their normal lives, don't encounter. They need to be enthused. They need to be educated, made aware of the possibilities that have been unlocked. And actually, I think one, one of the things that, uh, one of the critical things that uh, 10 years ago almost uh, brought AI back into everybody's um, uh, radar screen in the culture was not so much this stunt on Jeopardy, you know, perpetrated by my former employer. That was good. That was important. But even before then, in the late 2000 decade, late millennium decades, big data came along, but big data came along in the form of social media. Uh, everybody started using Facebook and Twitter to a lesser degree and so forth. And suddenly we had, and I was at Forrester Research during this period, and I, I saw this in my customer inquiries. I was Forrester's analyst covering not just data warehousing, we're talking about 2009. This new thing called MapReduce, and this thing that was starting to heat up called big data, you know, with Hadoop and so forth. What I was seeing was that the interest that was coming early on for MapReduce and Hadoop was coming, yes, from the techies, but a lot was coming from the chief marketing officers in their organizations, people who actually touched the customer or who wanted to touch them more. And they were asking, well, you know, how can we leverage this thing now called MapReduce so we can distill insights from this free-flowing stream of customer sentiment called social media? So I here's the thing. So there, the, the, the hype got building in the late 2000s of all around not just social media, but the fact that more and more digital channels like Google and Facebook and so forth were starting to be used for commerce, meaning advertising, you know, advertising, being able to target ads effectively based on what people are tweeting or doing on their mobile devices and so forth. So what I'm getting at is that the, 
yeah, there will be winters going forward, but AI is so firmly embedded in all manner of applications now. Um, you just have to look around your conversational interfaces in all manner of e-commerce and in mobile devices are here. They're not going away. Self-driving vehicles are clearly coming along. Self-driving capabilities increasingly in mass market cars, Tesla or whatever it is. <clears throat> they're not going away. Um, and they will, they will continue to leverage AI and that will be embedded. It is embedded in their very uh, design and their very engineering. And that's not going away either. It just seems like one of the pieces that's happening, and I agree with you entirely, I think this is moving forward now, but part of the momentum, I think, is that there are tool sets that are coming along that are going to allow us to bake this machine oh, yeah. deep learning into lots of things. I'm curious about what, which of those tools <laughs> cite you. Yeah, um, I just got off a client call with a client uh, who's a large vendor <clears throat> who is evaluating a variety of tool sets and a variety of startups um, and trying to put it together into larger tool sets to address larger problems. <laughs> so when you look at this entire massive ecosystem, and I have to use the word ecosystem here, it's a menagerie, it's a complex space that's evolving rapidly. You know, you can look at the, the tool sets um, on various levels. One of which is who, who builds machine learning. It's some new breed that's not really a new breed, but it's been around for a while called data scientists. You know, Bill, aren't you using these tools? Aren't you like, aren't you building your own, I don't know, freaking whatever it is? Yeah. So like uh, you're talking about Spark looking at Apache Beam. So Google, um, you know, it's funny, like you talk about all these, uh, these tools and it seems like Google's released most of them. I'm using uh, Beam right now and then TensorFlow. Yeah recommendation engines and using uh, graph languages. And as you're going through these, it's it, it reminds me, and it goes back to that question you asked earlier, uh, Chris, about like the education behind it. It's so funny because as I look at this and actually implementing what tools do I use for my projects, hmm. it's a, um, you know, there's a, it's a, it's not a wild west, but it is, I'm trying to, I'm trying to clap, I'm trying to bring my thought to a cohesive uh, yeah. approach here, but the tool sets, um, it's interesting to see that like the same two or three companies have built these big data, uh, I'll loosely call them big data, but really AI tools. I mean, TensorFlow is just recently released in the past year by Google. They did MapReduce, which came through Hadoop. You know, Hadoop came out of that. It was their 2003 paper. I forget what the paper was called, um, but MapReduce based on the 2003 paper. Um, and it's, uh, yeah. And, and Bill, to be fair, you read that paper in 2003 when you were in kindergarten, was it? Or was it a... <laughs> Second grade, by the way. Advanced. Uh, yeah, here's what's happening. The actual trend across the entire AI space is that the models, the, sorry, the frameworks themselves, whether it be TensorFlow or Spark or whatnot, um, are becoming less and less important. And here's what I mean by that. You can build a model in almost any of these front-end tools. Increasingly, you can then have your tool or the back-end infrastructure compile the models that you output from any of these uh, environments into a an abstract okay an intermediate representation language that can then be through other middleware increasingly um, uh, compiled down to an execution format uh, optimized for the target environment hardware environment it might be a GPU which is of course Nvidia has the GPUs it might be um, CPUs like uh, the, uh, the the Intel Xeon, uh, it might be like, you know, like Tensor Processing Unit, which is a Google-developed uh, code base 
or oh, sorry, chipset. Um, it might be an FPGA like Microsoft has got, or might be other ASICs that do this. What I'm getting is that the the ecosystem is, is evolving away from any of these individual frameworks like TensorFlow being be, you being locked into it. Um, and so what we're seeing is that the abstraction layer. I mentioned there's an intermediate representation language. There's a number of them out there. There's various uh, uh, compiler, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, optimization libraries as well. But on the top, more and more of the development is being done in highly visual tools where the developer, the data scientist, whoever, doesn't necessarily, increasingly won't need to know what's going on under the covers. They're just building these apps, these AI apps, using a visual paradigm, coding it however they, in the language of their choice. Usually it's Python, but it could be Java, it could be whatever you have it. Um, so, you know, in fact, we're seeing that abstraction, those abstraction layers, you know, Keras um, is an abstraction layer in terms of APIs. Keras can work with various backend uh, tools like TensorFlow and others. We're also seeing Gluon, G-L-U-O-N, which is a abstraction layer that both Amazon and Microsoft co-developed, and it's it's got bindings to the various uh, high-level languages. In other words, you as a coder can use the language of your choice. Um, and then the infrastructure, the tool bench, the ecosystem, will take care of then essentially not just compiling what the output of your modeling exercise, but increasingly containerizing it, like in Docker, and you'll be able to increasingly orchestrate various containerized machine learning and deep learning models using Docker and Kubernetes, so that they execute within your distributed cloud application ecosystem. That's coming along very rapidly. A lot of vendors, a lot of tool vendors and cloud vendors support that overall uh, way of doing it. So let me ask you, let me ask you this right now. So, so I, right now I get a startup that's going on and we're using a lot of this basically for recommendation engines. Yeah. Okay. So I get back to the business aspect. We see two issues when it comes to machine learning and AI, not just the technical issue and so not just the technical um, ecosystem, but also selling the concept of AI to a consumer market. Yeah. AI seems to be powerful, but it's so, um, I don't want to use the word ambiguous, so it's what's ambiguous and not generically understandable. If you're talking about inside of a company selling the usage of these tools and whether it's to go out and just you know set, set up something that's an open source spark um, and or just actually go buy not Cloudera but some offering that's sort of a, a prepackaged deal. Two questions there like to somebody who's doing uh, inside of a, an organization, how do you, um, what do you think is the best way to language AI in general? <laughs> First of all, uh, don't hit on it very hard. The term itself like big data is kind of meaningless. I mean, to because it doesn't really point to the actual applications or value you gain from them or how it's differentiated other stuff you might do. Here's how people will see our seeing AI, for example, relate to the fact that everybody has a smartphone and increasingly your smartphone is is has got the ability to process AI models. Um, in fact, runs on AI for like Apple, you know, Apple ID, face recognition that runs on AI, you, you can call that out, but that's not the, you know, AI by itself doesn't say much. You can recognize your face, you can tell people, it can recognize your voice uh, more, more uh, accurately and rapidly. I do a lot of my texting using voice recognition on my, on my iPhone. Uh, I know a lot of people who do. Um, so you, what you do is you sell to people the fact that, okay, um, th this, this 
capability that some call AI is able to do these magical things so that I don't have to type in a password. It's just face recognition. I don't have to type in my messages. It's voice or whatever recognition um, that it's able to my device, my, you know, my smart, you know, Alexa or whatever, can recognize my voice and can recognize my intent um, and then go and do whatever it is that I command it to do, like order me something from, you know, Amazon or whatever. Um, so explain to people that um, this intelligence, these are intelligent apps and um, they're very attuned to the environment and specifically the environment of you, the user. So in many ways, it, the whole notion of human machine interface, it's increasingly, people need to know that um, AI um, is not, you don't build AI into an app and then just let it run automatically forever and ever without refreshing it. This stuff will fall flat. The AI inside your phone or your smart speaker or your autonomous vehicle needs to be continually tweaked and tuned through something called training. It needs to be retrained constantly to evaluate its, its effectiveness at doing its assigned task. If it goes for a particular for any period of time without being retrained, um, then it will it'll fall apart. So it, it's a matter of it's it, it's it's only as good as fresh data. It's only as good as the the end-to-end backend infrastructure's ability to make sure that all of these, you know, this training, the retraining is done. So you're always getting, you should be getting whatever AI is built inside of your devices refreshed uh, transparently from the back end, whoever sold you the phone or whatever it might be. That's the magic. I mean, so Jim, I, I get that in, in the context of um, like a consumer device, right? Yeah. You know, um, like, like an Alexa, like a, I just activated my Alexa, sorry. Um, like the Google Home, right? Like like our devices, um, and and I can understand because because that's a, sort of a tangible value I can demonstrate. Look at what AI look and, and and big data sets and deep learning and intelligence on those data sets. Look at what it can do uh, for your choice of music mm. while you're yeah. smoking a cigar or whatever. Recommenders of all sorts run an AI. Yeah, all of that stuff, right? I, and because that's that's like a like I get it. That's instant. I feel it. It's in my you know it's. It's my device. I get it, and I understand it. So, it, how do I articulate then that value proposition yeah. if I'm at a company that you know? Because if I go into places where I'm at and I start talking about this stuff, first of all, they're going to look like I landed from Mars, right? The second yeah. thing they're going to say to me, "We've had IVR for 30 years, right? And you know, we have uh, we've had personalization uh, since 2001, and you know, we've had." Uh, you know, customization of you know, custom, you know, customization of the experience via portals or whatever it may be for a decade, right? Yeah, um, but how well has it worked for since the beginning? Um, you know, it needs to constantly be maintained and upgraded to the latest version. With AI and cloud computing, these the, these refinements, these upgrades, the latest versions are automatically being pushed down to all of your devices and applications. A, there's this whole notion of versionless, that's not specific to AI, but is critically important. But B, it's it's being retrained and retuned from fresh data uh, based on what works. You know, the best fit model AI is always being pushed down increasingly to all of your edge devices or whatever. Um, but um, also, it's, it's very important um, to, to point out 
that um, this capability is not just in specific applications like you know IVR. It's in this technology is in everything now, um, and so it, it's all about making sure that everything, every device you have, every app you have, every experience you have, is entirely attuned and adaptive to what's going on now or what's likely to go on. And it will, it's increasingly taking the best action based on any number of variables, many of which are, are under your control. It's not a robot overlord. Um, and that you know, it's the whole notion of continuous customization, continuous optimization, continuous adaptation of everything in our world, including increasingly physical devices to our needs, to our situation. Um, that's the promise, and it's the reality of how what's being built out. The most disruptive applications now, uh, everywhere, are all they all have AI inside. A lot of my uh, my clients are 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 looking at these technologies through the lens of um, which, by the way, is is refreshing because it never used to happen. But you know, looking at it through the lens of how does it benefit ultimately the end customer, right? The consumer of these services or products or whatever that we are producing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm super happy that the customer is is finally sort of has the voice, right? When it comes to you know, what can I deliver to that, that user? But I also like, I don't know, and maybe I was wrong, but I, I always felt like the promise, the, the, the big promise for me in, in this type of technology was what it could do internally to an organization to optimize to op, you know operationalize some of these concepts that we have around you know advancing the development life cycle you know for example like you know finance data or hr data and correlating this stuff together and yeah the hugest theme right now in it service management it operational management we see all manner of tools everywhere across that space incorporating machine learning to process very large amounts of log data at very at, at, the, at the very uh, the very heart, to look for trends and patterns and issues and anomalies, and to set up uh, you know automated or semi-automated or escalated remediation and so forth. What I'm getting is that, for example, AI uh, under the covers, uh, people the average person doesn't see it, is driving more of the optimization of your hardware, your servers, your applications, the end-to-end -end networks, um, trying to maintaining service levels that acceptable, so forth. We see this across the space from dozens upon dozens of solution providers in the whole IT service management space. That's one thing that may not be clear to the average person. They shouldn't, the average person shouldn't have to know that that's going on because it, AI, machine learning, its foundation is in being able to find patterns in data that human beings can't find at all or find as rapidly or as easily based on terabytes and petabytes and exabytes of data. Clearly, it's something that a human being can't do unassisted. Or yeah, at all. I get it, like in the context of like yeah. fraud detection, right? Yeah. Oh, know, yeah. You know, event processing and real time, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Um, SIEM was one of the foundation applications of machine learning, and, and, you know, neural networks from long back, clearly anti-fraud, uh, 
um, clearly as, as well, um, you know, so forth. You know, when you look at the current, you know, there's a lot of AI that sucks. <laughs> and here's the reason why, because AI is not magic. It takes hard work. It takes hard work, not just among the statistical modelers and the data engineers, but the subject matter experts. For example, chatbots. There's dozens upon dozens of them out there, conversational UIs. Um, you know, in, in that... There's a lot of dissatisfaction with the ability, the clunkiness of chatbots uh, to not just recognize uh, speech, that's the least of it, to recognize your intent. Because uh, human language, natural language processing, is ferociously hard to do well and at speed with a full contextualization. Um, it simply is hard, and um, it's it's. This is like in fits and starts, it gets better, but it's not to be taken for granted that this stuff works out of the box well. Um, increasingly, it works to varying degrees for various uh, applications, but you know because AI is in our face more and more, literally, and it's in more of our applications. All of us see what doesn't work, and, and maybe we think that the entire space of AI is overblown because our own particular app sucks big time. Um, you know, um, there's no guarantees that this, this stuff will work out of the box or ever uh, in particular applications without hard work from human beings, experts. Um, you know, and then the technology itself, the underlying technologies um, are, you know, the hardware. You know, there's, there's a, there's a plethora of different chipset architectures that are coming along um, for various applications and some work better than others. Some are more um, power efficient than others. Some uh, uh, are, you know, what I'm getting is that this is not necessarily cheap to get into. You know, and then GPUs and cloud computing and so forth. If you really want to do AI right, you need to do training. You need huge data lakes in the cloud that's expensive as all get out. And so we're, ta we're talking about is that there's, there's, there's definitely a hump to get over in terms of if you want to build out a substantial AI development pipeline, you need a heck of a lot of data and you need a heck of a lot of compute power. And that's, uh, that's only you know, uh, affordable or available to big companies that have large benches of data scientists. It's not everybody. So... Yeah, let me ask this then. So based on what you're saying and what I'm hearing, really what you're saying is for the average company, don't think about AI. And that's in general about your products because as you're looking at it, industry trends, really what's happening, especially in the ITSM world, is it's happening where a lot of data exists Yeah. in your log data. And that's even if people are actually centralizing their logs from a standard IT store. Mm -hmm. Being in some small, medium-sized, and even some larger companies, nobody's really doing that. So when people look at AI, AI is not even at a hype cycle yet. It's so early on in the AI, AI hype cycle for people like Google or Tesla or whatnot have right. damn money and time to invest in some of the, uh, some not just the computation, but the collection of data that in general, and I'm going to probably be hyperbolic, 99.99% of companies don't really have the capability, time, wherewithal to actually implement AI right now. It's just something that's sort of a, right. It's not wintering. It's 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 these guys. It's it's Elon flexing his muscle muscles. It's you know it's Larry and Sergey. You know they're sitting there flexing their muscles and showing some really cool stuff. But in general, it actually doesn't mean much in markets. And it's more of a marketing thing, like a company who grabs onto it. It's more of a fun story to tell to engage people to tell about the robot overload takeover, as opposed to you know here's what you can actually do with it, which really sounds boring based on what you said in general to people. And it's hey. 
start collecting your data and I'll tell you what servers are there. And you could do something cool like Google, who if they use UML, you can map your data centers and figure out where the next power strike is going to happen. And that's the sexiest stuff we can actually do with AI right now, as opposed to the standard IVR type communication yeah. theory. I mean, you know, the SMB, the small to mid-market, mid-sized business, really uh, AI is something that they're not going to build themselves. It'll be an embedded capability of their ITSM or their customer relationship management environment, Salesforce and so forth, have made a huge investment in embedded AI, you know, in their tools like Einstein, you know, it's natural language processing, it's intent recognition, recommendations and so forth. All this will be, is being baked into the tools that you do use, but you're not gonna build them yourself. It's like, you know, CRM, as the CRM space evolved and you know, Salesforce automation and marketing automation and customer service and all this got munched together under these, these mega brands, um, fewer and fewer companies of any size built their own. You just simply sourced it from somebody who threw in all the bells and whistles for you. It's the same thing with AI and like, you know, in CRM and everything else you do. Um, and so you don't need, as most companies don't need a, a data scientist on staff. Uh, the, you, know, you just depend on that vendor to keep their, their, their application uh, up to speed. Um, and that's just the way it works. Um, so about that. you made a very point. People don't need data. I, I actually was just talking with a client. They're looking at hiring a data scientist. And I actually told him, I was like, you don't need a data scientist. You need actually just to understand what the heck your business does as a business process. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's funny. So when people start looking at this AI and something you made, maybe I'm going to extrapolate and correct me if I put words in your mouth is you don't need a data scientist. You don't need some advanced PhD on your team. You just need somebody who knows enough to tell you which software is a service and uh, to start looking at to achieve a business outcome. And the real question of most of these people looking to do AI is, do you understand your business and how you're going to leverage this technology? Is that, yeah. is that pretty much where you're going with that? Well, yeah, you need, but you need analysts. You need business analysts who understand marketing or understand finance or HR, whatever it is that you want to uh, possibly adopt an AI-driven tool to help you with. And then these business analysts, these subject matter experts, then are the ones who can determine whether this AI-infused tool from this vendor is any better than this supposedly AI-infused tool from this other, or whether the AI in both of them is hyped um, and not really adding a whole lot of value over the pre-AI solution that you've been using for the last 10 years. In other words, somebody who's really skeptical about, because really it's a lot of AI washing, and I see this all the time from lots of vendors, They'll mention AI as like in their headline of their press release. So it's like you read through it, it's like, okay, you got machine learning in there, big whoop, everybody else does. Tell me what's new here that adds value over and above A, your previous version, or B, your competitors, in, in a way that can that can actually sell me on something new that I can accomplish with it. You gotta be really skeptical. This is like big data was five years ago as a term. It was in everybody's press release. So, uh, Jim, on that on that note, right? Um, we uh, Bill Bensing has uh, repeatedly um, used the phrase "X is dead" whenever we're talking about a subject. So, I, <laughs> on, on the side channel here, I was like, you should ask him if big data is dead. It sounds like we didn't even have to ask that question. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's dead. As, as, as these 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 buzzwords, these paradigms, they they come and go, and they come and go. The whole notion of the scalability of the data and the scalability of the analytics on that data um, it, 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 it is not dead. Rather, that's just the trend that, that's going on. Um, 
And now the applications themselves are increasingly built on machine learning models of ferocious complexity and size. Back to what you were saying, because you, you talked about like you talked about um, in terms of, you know, who can do this and what do what do businesses need? You talked about like marketing skills. You talked about, you know, we had the conversation about data scientists, right? But or you know, maybe you don't need that skill, but you also talked about like the analyst role. I mean so the question to Jim is, you know, how do people bring these skills into their organizations? And listen, since I know we're at the end, here's my bonus question on this one. It's the one I wanted to get to you, to you, which is there are um, we've we've seen the stuff around robotics. We certainly know that there are other places. You know, you talk about chatbots and things. Where I'm wondering, from your perch, what you think are either emerging opportunities or missed opportunities for machine learning. Where where might we see this head that we didn't see coming? Machine learning is in the browser. It's in more and more browser-based web applications. And people say, how could that possibly be? My you know my laptop doesn't have a GPU running inside of it. It doesn't have a whole lot of horsepower. However, um, you know, the predominant application development environments of the world are JavaScript frameworks, you know, whether it be, you know, Angular or React or Vue and whatnot. And they're ja JavaScript frameworks. We already see a, more than a dozen different machine learning modeling frameworks for building applications that do, you know, inferencing at the browser level, and to some degree, you can do training of those models at the browser level, and you can do all the programming in JavaScript. Um, that's coming out, that's a, as an emerging space. I'm thinking that's going to be huge, that you can do more and more things like image recognition, face recognition, and so forth in the browser, on the client, essentially it's an edge computing environment without round, needing to round trip back to the server. Um, it won't be the highest powered machine learning models, but it'll be good enough machine learning for a lot of fundamental applications. Like I said, some natural language processing, some image and so forth. TensorFlow JS, and there's many other ones. So that's, I think, is a, it, that's going to be, I think, a lot more of your standard Java you know, developers of web applications We'll be building machine learning in not, and they won't become data scientists to do it. They're just, it's just going to be a capability embedded in their low code development tool kits. Um, and then they won't necessarily specify, um, I want to do a convolutional neural network to do that, that, that face recognition. I simply want to recognize faces. And I saw, I'll write a few lines of Python and boom, it's, it's, it's or Java or whatever. And boom, it's been taken care of. I think that's going to come along. It's coming along very fast in the next couple of years. It'll be ubiquitous. The, the programmers won't be data scientists, but they'll be doing machine learning. And it'll be in everybody's applications, and you won't even know it or realize that it's AI. It's just the intelligence uh, to recognize what's going on. Like Facebook has had in their service for a few years now in terms of face recognition. We just accept it without thinking that it's AI, but it, obviously it is. That's, that's one critical thing, I think, in terms of um, what's coming along, I think, fairly rapidly or well. And it'll be, it'll take the development world by storm. Um, and uh, like I said, uh, robotics. Um, and robotics is simply, um, I think it's coming first and foremost into automobiles. And it's not necessarily self-driving automobiles. It's just more intelligent capabilities that are built into the average model that you buy from Toyota or GM or whatever it is. 
And so cars are just getting safer and safer um, and they're getting more intelligent and, uh, and, and sensor um, imbued um, in a way that people will warm up to this technology because uh, they'll see it, they'll, they'll know, they'll feel its presence in their lives. The intelligence actually works. Um, and I think so the whole notion of AI, you know, driving AI, robotic overlords like the Elon Musk kind of hysteria will die down as people realize this stuff is not demonic. It, it do well or it can do poorly in the applications and it's a lot of hard work. I think people are realizing that. I really appreciate it. I mean, sure. obviously, obviously this topic can go on and on, right? We oh, did yeah. touch, for example, on, you know, algorithmic, you know, news and, you know, uh, oh my gosh, right. And all these kinds of things. And, you know, and, and whether frankly, even or not our, our human brains, right. Are capable of even comprehending what it is that we're, we're doing with this stuff. So I, I there's lots to talk about. I oh, really yeah. appreciate the time and I uh, it. enjoyed it. Yeah. Look, I, I, I thank you very much. And uh, to all the folks out there watching, um, James is on medium and publishes, Lots I, I, and lots of stuff. I'm James Kabilas. I'm the lead analyst at Wikibon, which is the analyst team inside of Silicon Angle Media. We're the people best known for the Cube, which is a live streaming panel that we bring to industry events and to our clients' offices. Really, uh, we do interview executives and developers, innovators, um, and um, I'm the lead analyst on all things AI. So that's just to, to, to shorthand it. And I've been in the analyst space forever and ever. I'm a graybeard myself, so I've seen these uh, these manias come and go, and this is just like big data. It's not dying. It's not going to die. It's just getting so infused into the very, very substance of all applications. You'll take it for granted before long, AI. Well, I uh, I also plan on not dying, so um, I'm okay. going to infuse AI into my, my or my consciousness. But anyway, uh, we'll make sure all the links are out, uh, Jim, uh, to all of your stuff. Right. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sure. sir, yeah. very much. Yeah, good one. Sure, bye.